Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, my name is Ricky Smith, and I'm the founder of Random Acts of Kindness Everywhere, a nonprofit that simply does exactly what it says. Promote kindness everywhere. We know the world is crazy right now. If you are searching for a podcast that has a deeper conversation about race, my co-host Angel Gray and I will be discussing everything going on right now on our podcast, Random Acts of Podcast on Blue Wire Podcast Network. To find out more, go to rakenow.org. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. It's good old J.R. Jim Ross, the voice of AEW Wrestling. Yo, this is Flip Gordon. CVV Chris Family. This is Liam O'Rourke, author of Crazy Like a Fox. TCO, the French-Canadian Frankenstein. Hey, this is your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, and you're listening to Top Rope Nation. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. We're going to have one hell of a podcast. It's episode 149. It's a big one. We're paying homage to the man that many consider the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Nature Boy Ric Flair. We've got something extra special planned for you this week. I think it's a first. I know it's a first in the history of Top Rope Nation. More on that in just a minute. Before we get started, let me officially welcome you back to the broadcast. My name's Ryan Drosty of comicbook.com, and I'm going to throw it across town to sidekick number one, the biggest... Finn Ballermark in the entire state of Iowa, Mr. Justin Joint. What's going on tonight? The first time I've been nervous for the pod since the first time I was on. <laughs> since January 2017. A lot of preparation going into this one. Yes, sir. <laughs> We're going to be doing a draft, as you guys probably saw in the episode description. And uh, yeah, I've, I've got my draft big board ready. I'm ready to go. This next guy I'm going to introduce, he told us off air, He's got this all off the top of his head. He's doing without notes. The wrestling rain man himself, sidekick number two. We go out to the state of Ohio to welcome in the great Kyle Ross. Kyle, it's a little stormy tonight out there in Cleveland, is it? Yeah, and, uh, you know, one and two, huh? Me and Justin getting the dark order treatment, I guess. <laughs> sidekick <laughs> one, sidekick two. That's yeah. right. 
How's your week going, Kyle? Oh, it's a okay. I think the worst of the weather's passed, and I there was nothing that was going to stop me from talking about the greatest matches of Ric Flair. So, hell yeah, I even like if it. I had to, you know, tie a tin can to a tree, you know me, I was going to participate. <laughs> you were going to call in on your old cell phone with the pixelated camera, whatever, whatever you could do <laughs> to, mm-hmm. get, to get on the show. You know, guys, as we've been doing these shows in recent weeks, since we went to the two shows a week format, we've been trying to do a lot of collaboration, bringing some new voices on the show. And uh, I think we got a good one for you tonight. It's a special guest joining us on the line. He's the founder and CEO of the Veterans Minimum Podcast, which is also a member of the Blue Wire Network. He also streams on Twitch. You can find him at The Lamb Show on there. Welcome to Top Rope Nation, Mr. Nick Diaz. What's going on? Guys, absolute pleasure. I appreciate it. Always love talking wrestling. Thank you for the kind intro. And I myself also, big, big Finn Balor guy. So I'm already (laughs) feeling myself on this podcast. (laughs) You're going to fit right in, except for Kyle. He might give you a hard time. But uh, me me and Justin. I don't understand that character in NXT. (laughs) As we talked about on uh, Sunday night. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're big Finn Balor fans around here though too, so I think you'll fit in. We've been talking, Nick, uh, you know, for a couple of weeks trying to get you on the show, and uh, I'm glad to finally get you on here. You have an awesome podcast that you do. You you stream on Twitch, like I said. You put your stuff up on YouTube. You recently had uh, our friend Chris Van Vliet on your show. You can anyone listening, they can find that over on uh, on YouTube. So you dabble in the wrestling content, do you? Oh, yeah, dude. I actually used to have a wrestling show way back in the day also uh, for about three years, and that was doing pretty well. And then kind of just went all in on Veterans Minimum because it's more of a so I like to call it a sports and conversation show. So I I love to talk. I like learning from people. Uh, I've always been someone to sit back and like hear people's stories. And I feel like with that, it was more broad instead of just wrestling. And yeah, man, Chris was awesome. That was a really cool show. The dude's the man, really cool guy. And uh, yeah, you're right. We've been trying to set this up for a couple of weeks, and I'm glad that we finally put this together. Yeah, I think this is going to be a fun one to be on. We've never done anything like this. Uh, Me and uh, Kyle, Justin, in our group chat and our group text, we started doing after our Sting show last week. We were like, let's do a draft of Sting's best matches, and we were texting back and forth all afternoon, and we were kind of just like, why Why don't we do this on the air? This would be kind of fun. And then the Ric Flair WWE 24 debuted over the weekend. So we thought, you know, Ric Flair is kind of in the news right now. So this would be a good chance to talk about the career of the Nature Boy. And we are going to do that. But before we do, a couple housekeeping items. Of course, we are members of the Blue Wire Podcasting Network. Check out BlueWirePods.com for all of your podcasting needs, whether it's sports, movies, entertainment. They have the show for you. And also, hit us up with five stars, click that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much everywhere podcasts are found. You can also find all of our links and all of our archives on TopRopeNation.com. And if you really want to support the show and help us grow, the best way is to check out our Patreon page. It's Patreon.com slash TopRopeNation, where you can get some bonus content for signing up, as well as a free gift in the mail all the details over on patreon.com slash top rope nation. So guys, before we get started with the draft, I did mention a minute ago that they just debuted the WWE 24 on Ric Flair. And I'm kind of interested to get your 
general thoughts on it. It, it focused on the end of his career with WWE as far as in-ring action goes. And uh, so let me throw it out to Kyle. Kyle, what did you think of the WWE 24 on Ric Flair uh, from 2008 and all the footage that they aired? It was okay. Um, I don't look at that period with the kind of rose-colored glasses most people do. In the sense that um, I liked the original idea for his retirement better than what they went with. Um, I think when we were talking about rebooking WrestleMania main events... I made clear I kind of had an off-the-wall call for WrestleMania 24. So that's always been my view. But it's, I mean, it's really emotional. And the moment uh, on Raw the night after was an all-timer, one of the great moments in the history of Raw. But, um, yeah, it was a good documentary. They usually are. Yeah. Uh, Justin, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I think it, I think it was an excellent documentary for anybody who, who didn't uh, grow up with Ric Flair. For, for, like, the younger fans, I think that's a – a great way to kind of take a peek at his uh, influence on the industry um, and just to get a glimpse of that last rung. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, yeah, it it was a good overview. I think it was only about 45 minutes long. It's not super in depth. I did notice that they recycled some of the footage that we just got on the evolution uh, documentary that aired. What was that? A couple of months ago, there was, some recycled stuff from there where I felt I was I was watching the same thing with some of the, the backstage content. But, uh, you know, in that evolution period he was talking about. But uh, overall, yeah, I enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, Flair has been the focus of a lot of documentaries this year. They had uh, – or not documentaries, but content on the network because they had this. They had the, uh, the Steve Austin interview a couple of months ago, which was really good. Highly recommend yeah. checking that out. I, I like that better than this doc. Yeah, I I would agree. Uh, Nick, did you have a chance to watch both of those or or one or the other? What did you think of of 24? And did you have a chance to see the interview with Austin a couple months back? Stone Cold Steve Austin is probably my favorite person on the planet. And that is uh, with no disrespect to my parents, which I love (laughs) and I adore. So, yeah, I don't miss anything that Stone Cold puts on. Uh, I don't listen to many podcasts. Uh, I never miss his and I thought it was great with Ric Flair. And I also want to just push back a little bit. I think the issue with that 24 was they also did a couple of years ago, the ESPN 30 for 30. Mm-hmm. Like you also mentioned, Ryan, about the, you know, the the evolution stuff. Like we've seen a lot of the stuff that they showed us in this 24. It was cool that we got to see that WrestleMania weekend, how it was and how Triple H and his relationship, it kind of showed me a lot more about that. That was my biggest takeaway, how Triple H seemed to be really emotional talking about Ric Flair when he presented him and what he meant to him, calling him the best wrestler of all time. So it's hard, man, with these wrestlers. You know so much of their stories already. So for you to be completely surprised by something, it's very rare. That's why I think the last dance was so successful Right. The last dance with with MJ and the Bulls. It's like a lot of those stories we never heard of before where Ric Flair, you kind of know everything about him for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. That's a great point. I think I think the ESPN documentary for the 30 for 30, if I was to recommend someone, you know, a documentary or a special like this to watch on Flair, that's easily number one for me. And then, you know, I'd probably go down the line with the Austin interview just because it was 
that was pretty insightful. I always I enjoy those a lot. You know, just just getting their comments on the matches where they point out little things. You know, like in the Austin interview, he's talking about uh, his match with Vader and Harley Race on the outside, who was basically telling him that he was embarrassing himself and he had to fight back against Vader, who was really tagging him a lot in that match. That might be one we talk about tonight, but uh, and then he, then they showed Flair like really coming back and really hitting him, and I I love stuff like that because that's the little stories that you don't really get. So I feel like if you want the overview of Ric Flair's career, you watch that ESPN thirty for thirty number one, and then the Austin interview for just some really good insight. Yeah, that was a good way to put it. I think the Austin interview was for the. I don't know what the term is. I'm looking for the hardcore wrestling fan. Mm. who wants some more depth, you know, who knows a lot about Ric Flair's career already and kind of wants, you know, some more, you know, deep dives and, you know, uh, maybe stories that you hadn't heard before. But you're you're right. Yeah, if, you, if you're trying – the best overview of Flair's – not just career, but his, his life was that ESPN doc. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think of the, the 24 probably, the most interesting stuff was what they filmed with Charlotte. You know, in her uh, experience that weekend in 2008 before she got into Mm -hmm. wrestling, that was kind of the new stuff. Uh, And so, yeah, I enjoyed that. But we also kind of wanted to just touch on, you know, Flair's cultural significance. I mean, he's an icon of wrestling, obviously. He's a guy that, uh, you know, if you talk to your friends that don't watch wrestling and never have watched wrestling, you know, they're they're familiar with him. You know, Nick, you're from the New York area, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, what, what was your experience growing up and, and watching Ric Flair? What are your earliest memories of him? And like, just what do you think about his significance culturally in the United States? Yeah, I'm from New York, born and raised in Queens. I live in Long Island now. Dude, he is in the Mount Rushmore, I think, of the most popular athletes slash sports entertainers. Like just across the board, he his impact, I think everyone that cuts a promo or does a post game news conference or I'm a big UFC fan. I don't know how you guys feel about the UFC, but everyone is trying to uh, jack his swagger, right? Conor McGregor, uh, all these guys, they try to sell like wrestlers do and try to sell pay-per-views and events. Mm. His music stuff, everyone shouts out Ric Flair. The woo is you don't even need to know about Ric Flair, <laughs> if you just say the word Ric Flair and you're not a wrestling fan, you just woo like automatically. I think Joe Rogan had it in his standup, and he's like, "We didn't even plan that. I just said Ric Flair. You guys all just knew what that was." So, <laughs> dude, he's an he's an icon. Like that guy is just created swag in a way. You know, he he would just talk about how much more money he had than you. And even though he was a, a he was a villain and a heel, it's like, yo, I love this guy. It was one of a kind. Yeah. I think when we talk about Flair as the greatest of all time, it's you know it's the whole package. Certainly, there has been others mm-hmm. that were more technically sound in the ring, but mm. that persona, the way he carried himself as a champion, of course, the promos, one of the best promo guys in the history of wrestling. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheeling dealing, limousine riding, jet flying. Son of a gun, and I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down. Woo! Uh, Justin, what do you think about the cultural significance of of Ric Flair and in your own experience uh, with Flair in your younger days growing up? Uh, I know the first time I ever saw him, because I, I really only grew up with WWF, but I had some generic wrestling book 
uh, with just pictures of various wrestlers. And one of them was, was Flair in her, you know, one of his robes with that big gold belt around his waist. It's like, who the hell? I mean, he just, he looks like a million dollars. Uh, and a big part of that uh, reason is because he actually lived the gimmick. And, and I think that's part of the reason why, you know, he really attached to people is because he was authentic for better and worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think we all have similar stories, at least Justin and Kyle and myself, and that we were growing up more WWF fans. Mm. Kyle, when was like the first time that you remember seeing flair? It would have been like the after mags, but I didn't start watching WCW regularly till late 1990. Okay. So after some of the matches, a lot of the matches probably that we're going to yeah, be talking yeah, about. Yeah, like, early I, like in I did this not draft. watch Rick Fla- the heyday of Ric Flair NWA champion yeah, yeah. Uh, live. No. Yeah. Same. I mean, I I remember seeing him in the early nineties, WWF. You know, I was pretty young at that point in time. But I, I very much remember, you know, when the Monday Night Wars started. I've, I've talked about this on the show before, but like my dad would often watch Nitro and I would watch Raw because he liked the older guys. And uh, I say older guys now when I'm closing in on how old they were at the time. But, uh, you know, like Flair by that point in time was in his mid 40s. And I remember like Flair was always my dad's favorite wrestler because, you know, he watched Georgia Championship Wrestling and he watched Crockett and all that in the 80s. But I was just too young to really remember that. And I remember early on. I was kind of like, why do you like Ric Flair so much? Like he's old, you know, I didn't really get it. But when I started seeing, you know, that footage of him from the eighties, then I got it, (laughs) I got it loud and clear. So I think, you know, what's really startling to me though, is when you go back and you watch that mid nineties footage, he doesn't look that old, but I remember at the time, like I thought he was ancient. So yeah, it, I think you have to see the 80s oh. stuff to appreciate yeah. Ric Flair, certainly. It, so It didn't help that the Wolfpack was saying how old he was every week. I'm yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but, um, you know, you said something earlier, Ryan, that kind of hit the nail on the head. There probably are several more technically sound wrestlers than Ric Flair in the history of this business. Like, you know, even people still wrestling today. But the key with Ric Flair is the ability to meld not just the technical part, which obviously he's a tippy-top guy all time and was the top guy of his era, with the ability to draw. You know, you guys talk about the promos, the ability to talk people into the building. There are more technically proficient wrestlers today, but none of them have the same gift of Gabrick Flair. And mm-hmm. I think the ability to meld those two facets of being a pro wrestler together is what makes him uh, the greatest of all time in most people's eyes. Yeah. Absolutely. So cultural icon, like Nick said, I mean, how many NBA, NHL arenas play the woo during games? I mean, like NFL too. It's just, it's, everyone knows it, you know? I mean, so Killer I think, Mike has a song called Ric Flair featuring yes. promos from his mid-Atlantic heyday. Yes. Mean, my God, what else do you need to know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they show all that footage in the documentaries, the football teams and stuff. And they talked about his participation in, in several rap songs recently. And he's got stuff coming up. Apparently, they're even going to be making a movie on his life. That's the latest word. So we shall see. But that would be definitely an interesting one. They're going to have to probably adjust that for it to qualify for an R rating. Because if you've ever heard the stories about Ric Flair in the bars <laughs> and how he lived life in the 80s, man, it's going to be a little risque, I think. So No rap songs with the pipe bomb promo mixed into it in between no, verses. <laughs> 
That's for sure. No. So the way we're going to do this draft, it's going to be a snake draft. So if you've ever done like fantasy football, very much the same. If you go last, you go first in the next round. Uh, off air, I did a random.org list uh, randomizer to get our order. And it's going to be Justin going first, then myself, and then Nick, and then Kyle. And then we'll bring it back. We're planning on five rounds here. So we're going to be mentioning probably then 20 of the best matches in the career of Ric Flair. So as we put Mr. Justin Joint on the clock in round one, he's got he's got the heat on him right here. He's got to do the number one overall pick for best Ric Flair match, in his opinion. Before we get to that, I'm going to throw out a shout-out to our good friends over at Bet Online. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? Bet Online has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag, use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. Bet Online, your online wagering experts. So, with that said, Justin Joint, number one overall. Ric Flair matches. What are you taking? Oh, man. Well, I'm disappointed because this guarantees getting the number one, number one pick guarantees that I there's, you know, there's a few matches out there that I am most certainly going to miss out on that that aren't going to make my list. But I'm very happy because I am getting the one match I for sure wanted. It is by no means uh, his technical masterpiece or probably his best match in any ways. But I think it's his greatest moment. And that is the 1992. Oh, you motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about going with that one, too. Man, that's the right answer. I mean, you got to look back at that time. 92, all the four previous Royal Rumbles, all won by baby faces. And that's because the WWF was a baby face promotion, as we've talked about numerous times on this podcast. And here you have. Ric Flair just coming into the company. He is a WCW guy, a, a an Atlanta Southern guy. And not only does he win the title, but it's in the Royal Rumble coming in at number three and lasting for an hour. I mean, it just, you know, you add that up with the, the promo after the match. And it's just, I, I think it's his defining moment. You screwed up this entire thing for me, Justin. That wasn't supposed to happen. That wasn't on my format sheet, Tony. Uh, (laughs) I didn't think you'd take that number one, so I was actually planning on it, so it did mess with mine a little bit. Man. Justin really summed that up pretty well, too, I think, in the sense that, you know, we're going to talk. I I think there's going to be a run on a certain trilogy coming up here uh, in the next two rounds, but... If you were to show a non-fan or casual fan why Ric Flair's the greatest, you would actually, in my opinion, um, you should show them the 92 Rumble, not any of the Steamboat matches. Because it's the easiest match to digest his greatness. Yeah. Um, That was a great point Justin made about 
him coming in as a heel. No heel had ever been afforded that platform since Vince went national in 83. Look at all the other heel world title wins that had happened. There hadn't been very many going back to 83. They were all BS finishes. Mm-hmm. That was Ric Flair outclassing uh, all of Vince's stars for an hour. And it was very obvious. Yeah. I mean, that, that pretty much says it all. It's it's I'm still the greatest Royal right Rumble now. of all time. I, I think the greatest Royal Rumble of all time, yeah. in my opinion. So, all right. That's off the board. Number one overall. That puts me on the clock. And... Oh, this is a tough choice. I, you know, you just mentioned the Steamboat trilogy. I was thinking about this earlier today and trying to remember which one I liked the most because all three of those matches from '89 are great. I'm gonna pick one of them for my number one overall here, and I'm gonna go with the May 1989 Wrestle War match with Steamboat from Nashville. Uh, well, that, I think that was my that was my consideration for number one. If I wasn't gonna go the Rumble match. Yeah, I think this one to me, I like so much. I like the story told with the injured leg throughout. I like how the finish isn't one you always see, you know, like Steamboat st- sells that injured leg throughout the end of the match and then Flair wins with the inside cradle. I like the involvement of Terry Funk afterwards, which, you know, sets up their program for later on, uh, in- including the pile driver which is something that you didn't see through a table in that era like ever. So that was a, that was just an iconic moment I think. You know, I saw this years later, but I think even watching it trying to watch it through the lens of 1989, you realize how serious and freaking cool that was. So, yeah, I I got to go with Wrestle War 89 for my number 1 pick. Does anyone have any thoughts on that one you want to share? When we had Jim Ross on Ryan, mm-hmm. I and the interview was over, I immediately regretted not asking him, praising him about uh, his role in that post-match angle. Cause I think it is absolutely amazing how, you know, he's in the ring doing the interview and he runs back to make the call. And, you know, it's just like kind of this dead air. And then all of a sudden you hear Terry Funk is assaulted nature boy, Ric Flair. I think just such professionalism from Jr. there to brush back, to make that call. <laughs> yeah, man. He's he's the greatest, man. There you go. I think uh yeah, he he did great selling it. Terry was great. Steamboat and Flair obviously were always great. So, yeah, that, I think that's I'm comfortable with that as being my first pick. And that takes us to Nick, your first pick. What do you got for us? Man, hats off to taking the Rumble. You didn't even mention the the quote with a tear in my eye. <laughs> you know how many times I've said that when I win like my fantasy Ooh. football championship? Like, I've yes. So many promos on my friends. That's another thing. Like this guy has just so many bars. There's so many quotes. Fantastic. Fantastic. So I uh, I kind of did the way I went about my drafts was a little bit different because obviously hindsight is 2020, but I also factored in some of the lead up to it too, like um, some of the storytelling and the promos leading up to it just to set the tone for some of my picks moving forward. But as far as this one goes, man, I think the, his his best opponent in the ring for me was definitely Steamboat mm-hmm. and uh, Clash of Champions 1989. When you guys put that together for me, uh, when we put the list together, excuse me, um, again, this is back-to-back Steamboats, right? Like, that run was just so crazy between the two of them. And it might be the best of the trilogy. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but it was close to an hour which was also another thing with Ric Flair with all the crazy shit he was doing outside the ring. 
the ability to be able to go close to an hour was also impressive with all the chaos that was around them. Mm-hmm. But I would go with that as my my first pick here. Third pick overall. So the New Orleans match, the what was it the Raging Cajun or something like that was the tagline of that clash? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's it, a great one. It was it was also like um was it oh man, wasn't it a two out of three falls too? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Just because I, I get confused sometimes with the trilogy. But yeah, definitely the that one, man, for me. I like it. I I can vividly remember seeking out all of these matches. I think when that Ric Flair, uh, the first DVD set came out from WWE, I was so pumped because a lot of these great matches I hadn't seen yet were on there. But I I remember getting into tape trading like in the late 90s and just immediately seeking out the Steamboat trilogy. That was like the very first thing I went for. And I know my Clash 6 tape was like really sketchy quality. <laughs> I got it. But yeah, this one blew me away. It's it's a It's a great match. It was amazing to get all those on DVD and see, like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> Seriously, wow, my, yes. How shitty was VHS, but yeah. <laughs> I, I think Wrestle War was first released, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was a bonus on a Triple H DVD because it was, like, No, his that was the match. one I'm going to pick. Oh, it was? The next? Okay. Yeah. You're yeah. going to Chi-Town? Yes. Okay, there you I think go. That, I think it's pretty easy, which kind of stinks because I wanted to do a big thing. I, I was hoping that all three Flair Steamboat met the... Those three were all going to go, and then I was going to do this big pomp and circumstance. I'm really salty right now. <laughs> I had plans for four and five, and I was going to get the Royal Rumble 92. I thought, I'm very upset. And I was going to act like I couldn't get a Flair Steamboat match, but I had an ace in the hole. And I, I don't know, maybe I'll talk about that at the very end. But no, I'm taking Chi-Town Rumble uh, for my first round pick, fourth overall. The tightest of the uh, trilogy matches. And uh, Dave Meltzer in the front row going with crazy. Justin's other boy, or, or pardon me, with Ryan's other boy, Brad Muster. <laughs> My boy. <laughs> He's a Chicago Bear. Yeah, yeah, lineman. By the way, I, uh, Ryan, I don't know if you know I know this, but Uh-oh. I'm going to tell you right now. I know that uh, there was a certain R. Drosty from Iowa that wrote into the Observer once saying, <laughs> Dave, was that you in the front row of the Shinetown Rumble? Some, a little birdie passed along that note oh, to me once. Oh, yes. I, I got the... Uh... <laughs> I got the picture of that. So what Kyle's referring to is the podcast series on the 1990 WWF that he just did with Liam O'Rourke over on Squared Circle Gazette. And uh, yeah, our friend Liam, he sent me a message one day. He's like, you're never going to believe in a million years what I just ran across. And yeah, it's like from 2002 or 2003, I had written into the Observer about this match. <laughs> I was just, I was kind of blown away. I don't even really remember writing the letter. But uh, yes, indeed. I was like, is that Dave Meltzer? This was right around the time when I got into tape trading. And, you know, I wasn't as familiar with what Dave looked like at that point in time. But I thought it was him and he confirmed it. And I, I just kind of asked him in the letter, like, what it was like being front row for such an awesome match. And if you watch the footage, Dave just goes is going absolutely nuts during the match. I, so. I imagine that's how he is when he watched Okada Omega on the couch, too. <laughs> I just imagine it's the exact same thing. Yes. Um, okay, so let me think now. Where do I want to go with my next pick? So I got a Flare Steamboat one. That was goal for round one. Round two... This is not where I want to be, guys. It really isn't. It really isn't. But I'm going to go with, hmm, you get the technical wizardry of Steamboat, so I'm going to go with the Brawl. Shit. I'm going to go Clash 9, Terry Funk. Damn it. Mm. 
That was maybe I'm going to be on my list next. <laughs> yeah. I, the the beauty of Flair's 89, right, is he has these two incredible feuds, but they're so different. Mm-hmm. And I can't say this enough. <laughs> A big reason that 1989 was so great is Ric Flair turned babyface finally. It was something he needed to do at the end of 87. We're all talking about how cool the guy is. And I know he likes to play heel, but Rick, people love you. You needed a baby face for the love of God. He so, talks in that Austin interview about how much he hated being a baby face. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm yelling at the TV. I'm Rick. Who the hell wants to boo you? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that's my that's number five overall. My second pick, Flair and Terry from the that Clash. Number five on my big board. Mm. Well, it ties together nicely with what I mentioned at WrestleWar with the, you know, the pile driver through the table and everything. There you are. You get to the I quit match at Clash 9 later. So nice pick. Nice pick. What do you got for us, Nick? This might uh, upset some of you, maybe throw off your big board, but this is what happens when you do snake drafts. You never know what the other person is thinking. <laughs> WrestleMania 24 for me against HBK, and here's why. Dude, it was 59. When you go back <laughs> and watch that match, the fact that he was doing what he was doing, I thought that was super impressive. Obviously, it's a retirement match. For your last send-off, WrestleMania 24 for me is known as the Ric Flair retirement WrestleMania. So yeah. it's what you, Mayweather. Come on, Mayweather, Big Show. Like no one remembers that, right? People might have forgotten that until I mentioned that now. So when you think of WrestleMania 24, that's the match that stole the headlines. That's the iconic um, ringside shot of the whole Flair family there. Charlotte before we knew about Charlotte, the son that was there, Reed. And it's just what a send off, man. You have one of your better matches of your career, your last match with a guy who's Mr. WrestleMania, you're Mr. Wrestling. If you know, a, a three decade long career for me, what is symbolized how he hasn't wrestled again in WWE since then. Like it was an actual retirement match it was pretty dope. Cause you know, with wrestling like, Oh, it's a retirement match. And then they show up on SmackDown. At least with this, everything was, was put to rest and the emotions behind it too. was everything you loved about wrestling. For me, HBK versus Ric Flair, Mania 24. You know, yeah, when you talk about the story aspect, it's hard to beat the story there. You know, the the story they told with Flair's last couple of months in the business. And if he loses, he's out. And then you go into that weekend, he's wrestling the great Shawn Michaels. He's got the Hall of Fame induction. We all knew watching at the time that was going to be it. But it was still a great story they told. And uh yeah, I mean, I can't really... When you look at it from all angles, certainly he's had That's, better matches in the ring, but the story was... And just it being his retirement match and, yeah, him coming through at that age. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, so, sorry for cutting you off there, but, dude, that's exactly why before I made my first pick, I wanted to really preface exactly how I'm going about these matches. I like to factor everything in. You know, it's the storytelling. It's everything leading up to it. I'm a big promo guy. You know, WrestleMania 17, Rock Austin, greatest promo package of all time. All that stuff matters to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Nice pick. Well, that leaves me considering two matches here as I've been thinking about it, as we've been talking over these last couple of picks. And I think, man. All right. I'm, I'm going to have to go with uh, WrestleWar 91, the War Games match. We talked about this one on our Sting show a little bit. 
you know, WCW had two War Games matches in 91 and 92 that were both five-star matches. Off the charts. Great matches. By the way, maybe NXT could take some notes on this because this one in particular in 91 was only, I believe, a little over 20 minutes long. 21 minutes and 50 seconds. So you can have a five-star match and it doesn't have to go 40 to 50 minutes, guys. Uh, yeah, this one is great. You got the Horsemen. You got Wyndham Flair and Sid and Larry Zbysko taking on Pillman. The Steiners and Sting, great, great match. Of course, Flair wasn't in the company the next year when they had, I think, a better War Games match, even so, with Sting's squadron. But, I mean, the 91 match is, is nothing to uh, nothing to joke about. Like I said, it's a, it's a five-star match. Ric Flair is great in this match, as is uh, most of the entire roster in the match. And so, yeah, when you look at the, well, the best War Games matches of all time, this is always up there. Powerbomb. Yes, of course that. But <laughs> overall, <laughs> we talked we talked about that one last week a little bit. But you know, overall, you put Ric Flair in this War Games match. I I'm confident this being my second round pick. Anyone got any thoughts on that one? Um, kind of pissed because I was definitely going to be taking that with one of my next two picks. <laughs> Still disappointed in his draft position, Justin Joint. Yes. Um, yeah. All right, Justin. That brings us to you to round up round two. Oh, man. So now I have the conundrum of do you take a match because of, you know, how kind of important it was or do you just take a better match? Um, I think in this case for my first one here, I'm going to go with uh, what really shines on what Flair was exceptional at. And that was making other guys look great. Um and at Clash of the Champions 1, he made Sting. Uh, so that's what I'm going to be going with for pick number eight. That was probably going to be my next pick if you didn't take it. So <laughs> I'm not going to disagree with that one. There you go. Nice. The 45-minute draw. Yeah, and we don't need to go, yeah, we don't need to go too much into this. I, um, we talked about it last week. I know uh, Kyle isn't real high on it. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, like I said, it's a good match and it made sting one of the, you know, the all time greats. Yeah. Star making performance for sure. All right. You- for my next one. Oh man. Oh, this is tough. I think I'm going to go the match at Starcade 93 versus big van Vader his return to WCW, uh, beating Vader for the title. Um, once again, not like not one of his technical best matches, but a thoroughly enjoyable one, and it made even better uh, by that Stone Cold interview. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You know, it's interesting that he brought that up—the story about Harley Race saying, "Hey, you're embarrassed yourself, Rick. Come on." get more physical and that's like a criticism i read of that match going back many years and i think it actually misses the point of the match that match was significant because it was the first time i believe in rick flair's career he wrestled as the underdog you know we all we grew you know rick flair throughout the late 80s and into the early 90s he was you know the greatest the nwa world champion Oh, you had to bring your A game to beat Ric Flair. Well, fast forward to 1993. He's against Vader, who's been this dominant champion throughout the year. And Ric Flair is being positioned, hey, he's this guy at the end of the line. 
Kinney kind of summon up some of the old, uh, you know, like, can he be the old gunslinger for one night? I think the fact that, like, Rick may not have been at his most physical benefits the match, quite frankly. Absolutely. It doesn't hurt it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all about storytelling. Time- yeah, yeah. At that time, Vader was truly a monster, having gone through you know Sting the previous year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all the Cactus Jack matches that year were great. Yeah, I mean, I think and the finish. I mean, they kind of they kind of botched that, but you know, I, I liked it. Like Flair working as underdog. I mean, can you guys think of another time where Ric Flair worked as the decided underdog? He was either considered like the equal with Steamboat, or you know, he was the veteran to the young guy Sting in that match that Justin just picked. So um, I, I think it helps the match that actually Rick is, you know, kind of like fighting for his life and, you know, maybe for the first time looks quote unquote older. Mm-hmm. No, I, and yeah, the fact that it was in Charlotte too, mm-hmm. made it kind of special too, where, you know, here, where he was living at the time. So yeah, I, I like that pick. It's a good pick. The limo ride with mean Gene all throughout the show is tremendous. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I haven't seen that in a long time. Yeah. Solid pick, Justin. I like those two back to back. That uh you know what? That puts me in an interesting situation here because as you said, you could go with something that might be better in the ring, or do you go with something for the story? And I've been going back and forth between two matches in my head right now, and I bet at least one of these is gonna come off the board before it gets back to me, because I know this Kyle Ross character pretty well. I'm going to leave that one for him. I'm going to leave that one for him. I'm going to let you have it. I know what uh, match you're talking about. <laughs> because, And I think Justin referenced it, too. So because of that, I'm actually going to look at one from his WWF run the first time that I very much like. And I, I don't know that I can say it's underrated because people do talk about it. But, I mean... It's it's underrated for how well of or how good of a match I think it is. And that's the WrestleMania 8 match with Randy Savage. And I thought the storytelling going into this match with Elizabeth and she was mine before she was yours. Let me show you this right here, everybody. Oh, Once again, look at this, Gene Okuda. Look at this, everyone. Woo! You know what this means? It means Randy Savage Elizabeth was mine. Before she was yours. Woo! Yes! One more time, Randy. It means Elizabeth was mine, big man, before she was yours. And yes, if you're thinking to yourself, how am I going to follow that act? You can't. (laughs) I ate all that up. I thought that was great. And so, yeah. I, I liked seeing this. I know everyone, you know, retroactively always talks about why didn't Flair wrestle Hogan at that mania, and we've discussed that on the podcast in the past. But you put Ric Flair in there with Randy Savage, and they had went on to have some really good matches in WCW after this as well. But uh, I've, I've always really liked this match. These are two of my favorite wrestlers of all time. In fact, if I'm looking at my personal Mount Rushmore of pro wrestlers, these are two of the four. So how can I not pick this match? So I'm going WrestleMania eight Flair Savage. Anyone have thoughts on that one? Yeah. If the only reason I actually didn't take that with one of my last picks is just, it's for me, it's too close to the rumble match that I picked and I'm trying to get a little diversity in my, uh, my squad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I may not have another WWE WWF match. So I had, I had to take it at this point. Um, 
Nick, do you remember the first time you saw this match? Yeah, dude. It was I, I agree with you. I think Savage, Savage and Flair, they're not in my Flair's in my Mount Rushmore. Savage isn't, but he's like a honorable mention. But I think Savage might be on that Mount Rushmore of like cultural impact. Like he had the Slim Jim back oh, in yeah. the days. Like I was talking to I was talking to a friend of mine and we were talking about the, the macho man and his sister came out and goes, oh, step into the Slim Jim. And she did like the, oh, yeah. And it was like, oh, you know, like the cultural impact of him, too. Uh, this match upsets me only because like that jobber Sid, Sid, Psycho Sid was like the headliner. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That guy. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're like, preaching to the choir right now dude, for a, a reason a, that you don't know. But <laughs> I can get into a, that. A <laughs> Joe ahead. Bear to the fullest. Um <laughs> And they put that like because everyone wanted, like you said at the beginning, everyone wanted to see Flair Hogan. You still had them, maybe not at like their absolute apex, but they were still able to go, you know. And you didn't get that, and they give us that. But it, this was a good like consolation prize to say the least. Yeah, <laughs> the reason I laugh is because about a year ago. We were supposed to have Sid as a guest on our show. And, uh, oh, man. you know, Sid has the reputation of no showing events and stuff like that. We actually did yeah. have him on the line, myself and Kyle, and he came up with all these excuses why he couldn't do the interview. And we tried to rebook it, and I eventually kind of gave up. I'm not going to bash him too much because I still would like to get him on the show and I could always reach <laughs> back out to him. <laughs> right, right, but right. It was, it was disappointing, you know. And afterwards, we're kind of like, well, we kind of get why he has that reputation now. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Worst comes to worst, just throw the bla backlash at me because I don't plan on talking to them ever. So we <laughs> got that. But I love that part in this match where you got the bloodied flare and he goes and kisses Elizabeth and then she yes. just comes out of there swinging at him. That is just such a funny, cool moment. So it was very un WWF like for that yes. period. I mean, they had started to do some heavy heat angles in late '91. Uh, ironically, like with Savage getting bit by the snake. So I, I really love that period, like late 91 into early 92 WWF after kind of the doldrums of 1990 and early 91. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's mine. What do you got for us in round three, Nick? Okay. So again, I always want to specify in the beginning that I'm factoring in everything. I'm going Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, Starcade 1985. I, the greatest baby face promo of all time is hard times by dusty Rhodes. the celebration afterwards rick flair and him their feud is an iconic one just everything about that it, it seemed like it seemed like there was an energy in the in the audience that was i don't know maybe at that time it was very different from how it is now but to me it's 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 dusty Rhodes and rick flair two guys that their paths would always just crash and it'd always be magic. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that, that's a good pick. It, yeah. Wasn't the uh, the four horsemen were formed either right before or right after this, weren't they? Right before. Was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean that's a solid pick. I thought about when I was making my big board, I got to get a dusty match on my list because that's one of his most iconic feuds obviously and this was the one kind of right up there at the top. So if you didn't pick it, I would have been considering it. So <laughs> that's a nice pick. There you go. Kyle, where does that leave you on your board? Okay. So with the final pick of round three, can't believe this wet lat is still on the board. Um, you know, 
going back to the last pick there with Rick and Dusty, you, you can't beat a great JCP crowd. You just can't. Uh, you know, that that crowd was just so rabid uh, when the promotion was at its peak. And with that in mind, I'm taking Ric Flair, Barry Windham from yep. January 20th, 1987 on World <laughs> Championship Wrestling. Uh, that was the draw. one. This, oh, this is the one you thought I was going to yeah, pick. Yeah, it is. I knew, okay. I knew it was going to be one of three Barry Windham matches. Okay, yeah. Um, I think this is the best of the three. It's funny. Everyone knows about the Steamboat Trilogy. The Barry Windham Trilogy is kind of right below that to me. I, I think you can make a case that Barry Windham belongs on the Mount Rushmore of Flair opponents. I think it's kind of a battle for that last spot with him and a couple other guys. Uh, certainly Steamboat deserves on there. Rhodes was his greatest rival. And with the first pick of round four, I'm picking another guy who absolutely deserves to be on that Mount Rushmore of Ric Flair opponents, and that's Kerry Von Erich. I'm going to go with December 25th. 1982 uh, world-class championship wrestling. Give a shout out to Rick as the traveling NWA champion. Um, I don't think there was a single match more important to a territory than this match was to world-class championship wrestling every week. It seemed on their television, they would play up. Oh my God. Remember when Kerry, he was going to be the champion and then the Freebirds turned out. I mean, it basically defined that promotion. The only comparable thing I can think of would be like the Hogan turn at Bash at the Beach 96 and how that defined uh, WCW mm-hmm. for the next year or so. So those are my two picks, Flair and Barry and Flair and Carey. Was the that window match, was that the draw? Yes. Okay. Yeah. There's two others that are really good too that are still out there for the taking, but yeah, this is... It was wide, a- by the way, for the record. It, it was, it first appeared, the first was on that Flair DVD that you mentioned earlier, Ryan. I, I was... Uh, very excited. I remember that was the reason um, I bought that DVD was that win the match. If you go on the network, I was looking for this one actually earlier today to watch. Uh, mm-hmm. If you go on the network and you search Flair Wyndham, it will come up. I'm not sure what it's listed under because I don't believe they have this episode of television on there. So it must just be on there individually. But it is on the network. If you search Flair and Wyndham, it will come up in the search results. I think that DVD as a collection is still available. That's probably what it's from then. Oh, well, yeah. yeah, I think it's, it was the yeah the ultimate Ric Flair. So I think that's why it's still on there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, excellent pick. Can't disagree with that. I, that's what I was referring to when I said, I know Mr. Kyle Ross. I knew you were going to go Wyndham for sure. And uh, yeah, there you go. Nice pick. Nick, what do you got? Okay, so in wrestling, you always want that guy to sort of do the favors and and put a young guy over kind of past the baton kind of thing. And I might sort of um, throw you guys off here, but he had a match with Edge on Raw. Uh, Good pick, good pick. And I know it's weird because I want to say for the most part, we've just picked like pay-per-view and big events. So like a Monday Night Raw, you might be like, huh, what? It's usually like a great promo is on there or like a run-in. Hmm. But I, I think, again, it it's – think about where he was in his career, right? He's 56, 57 years old, and he's having these matches with a guy who's going to be groomed into the next guy up. And I really feel as if this was when Edge was really starting to get going, and this mm-hmm. this might have been like the icing on the cake 
You know, like you had a, 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 a grizzled vet, one of the icons, maybe for a different generation, like that's still the guy. But to go over on a, a guy like Flair, or even just how that match played out, I thought it was really, really dope for Flair to do, for Edge to perform like that. And then, man, Edge is one of my five favorite wrestlers of all time. And I feel like he never gets mentioned for his accolades and his just impact on wrestling. And when he had to retire, also the hole that it left in the company is super underrated. And that kind of jump-started Edge's career, and that did a lot, right? Like, do we have John Cena if it's not for Edge? And Ric Flair kind of helped Edge take that next leap. So for me, I'm going with that one. And I know it might be a little controversial because it's a Monday Night Raw. <laughs> I believe that was Flair's first ladder match in That's... his career. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Oh, man. And who who better to have one with than yeah. Edge, right? Yeah. That was my fa- favorite period of old man Flair um, in his like second WWE run was, was that and the two Triple H matches late in 05. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to be honest. I don't have a whole lot of memories of this match. I'm going to have to go back and watch it. I mean, I kind well, of remember that's, it, but... That, that's why I mentioned how, you know, this is the first one from our list that's a regular Monday night mm-hmm. as opposed to everything. You know, like, I don't know how many... I don't really go back and watch old Monday Night Raws, but I go back and watch old ECWs and and, and um, Bash at the Beach, and SummerSlams. You know, like, Raw is just a weird place to have such a classic like this. Yeah. Oh yeah. I just sure. remember it, at that point his hair was thinning so much and he was bleeding <laughs> during the match that oh my like god, he yes, had red hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I uh, yeah, it's that's a good pick. I like it. It's more of a deep cut, which uh that's good. I mean, it's good for the listener too because you don't want to just hear all the matches you are very familiar with. So, that gives the listener something to go back and watch too if if they're not as familiar with that one. So, nice pick. Uh, January sixteenth, for the record, for those January sixteenth. And oh, what was wow. the year? If we, if we would have done this, if we would have done this next week. It might have been on the anniversary. Here we go. All right, close to it. So for me, man, this is tough. I got a few now that I could go with. Some of these we talked about on the Sting uh, broadcast last week because he had some really good tag matches with Sting. Had that Starcade match with Sting, but instead, I think I'm going to flip the script. I'm going to go with the guy who doesn't get a lot of credit when we're talking about the greatest wrestlers of all time. But if you go back to his run there in the late 80s and early 90s, I think he's kind of underrated, and that's Lex Luger. And uh, I'm going to go. There's really two matches Luger had with Flair that were highly rated. I'm going to go with the earlier one Luger on the come up here, Starcade 88. That's my pick. Ric Flair, Lex Luger from Starcade 88. Uh, Flair wins the match. Uh, it's about it's about a 30-minute match, if I recall. Yes. And uh, they would have another another match two years, well, a little less than two years, I guess, a year and a half later at uh, Wrestle War 90. But from what I recall, I like the Starcade match a little bit better. Uh, Kyle, do you have any thoughts on this one? This is kind of your wheelhouse. The fact that these two were able to go out and consistently have good matches despite all the political drama backstage is amazing to me. Yeah. Because, you, I mean, you know the story, like, you know, Dusty wanted to put the title on Lex. Turner got uh, – Turner came in and bought the pro, uh, the company from Jim Crockett. Flair pulled a power play and was like, no, I'm not dropping the title. 
Uh, Dusty gets turfed as the booker after coming up with the insane idea of making Rick Steiner the world champion. <laughs> and despite the fact that Flair's basically like, yeah, I'm never losing to Lex Luger. Him and Lex go on and have this really good match. Yeah. I, I like this match better than the Clash match with Sting. I actually think Luger's a better Flair opponent than Sting. Hmm, Even though Sting is a better, uh, is an overall more talented performer. Yeah, yeah. So it, it kind of has a similar finish to the the Flair Steamboat match at WrestleWar I mentioned, whereas his opponent's knees give out. You know, Luger puts the torture rack on Flair at the end, but his knees buckle under him, and Flair falls on top of him and, and pins him, uses the ropes as, you know, the dirtiest player in the game. <laughs> <laughs> often dead gets the win so jim ross screaming for an orthopedic surgeon to come down to ringside <laughs> during this match is one of the most phenomenal things that ever happened in professional wrestling <laughs> i yeah i mean i think it's worth the watch you know we don't often put lex in in that uh category of, of the great workers but he was a great worker opposite rick flair you know we could say that for a lot of people but yeah like kyle said he was he was a great opponent for flair they had some good matches and I think this is probably their best. So, yeah, I'll go with that one. What do you got, Justin? Well, I'm pretty giddy right now because there was two matches I've been holding my breath uh, that nobody would take from the last selections I made. Um, in the first one, I mean, probably one of the most important matches of Ric Flair's career, Uncensored 96, Tower of Doom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I was about to fire you on air from this podcast. <laughs> I was like, what is happening? <laughs> Brian Pillman scheduling his annual throat surgery to get out of a job is one of the most incredible pieces of business in the like ever in that thing. Like, oh, oh he was going to lose. He's like, no, nah, I got to get my, you know, because he always had like all those throats. He'd like, uh, what is it? The polyps or something like that yeah. it's called. Yeah. Like, he's like, nah, I got to get those scraped. They're like, mm. but, but you were supposed to job at Uncensored 96. Too bad, pal. <laughs> uh, Justin, what's no, the real pick before Nick act, ditches us? <laughs> actually, uh, I'm going with a match that I'm actually kind of just okay with, just match-wise, because I watched it like damn near 30 years after it happened for the first time. But I, I know Rick has cited it as one of the most important matches in his career. Um and it does have some kind of some fun camera work in it. I'm going uh, Starcade '83 versus Harley Race okay. when he uh, won the title back. Nice, iconic. That was another one of them where uh, when that came out on one of the DVD sets to see it in that kind of quality was uh, <laughs> amazing. God, my tape version of that was so bad. <laughs> yes, although, the tape trading market version was not great. At least what I got. Yeah. Although uh, the only issue with the in DVD is you get to see Gene Kaniski's horrible officiating job uh, even better. <laughs> God, he was a bad spot. His slow count. I was like, pick it up, Gene. Uh, <laughs> a legend, though. We can't hate too much. Uh, what do you got, Justin, for your final pick then? Number two, uh, piggyback off of Nick's uh, Raw pick. I'm going to pick a Raw match, too. Ooh. Except it happened about uh, yeah, 13 years earlier. Mm, it, I don't know I'm, I'm going... Uh, Raw, uh, January 18th of 93 versus Mr. Perfect. I believe nice. it was a loser leaves town match. Mm -hmm. And Ric Flair's last match in the WWE until he came back after it was purchased by Vince McMahon. After WC, yes, yes. I, 
I thought about this one. It is a really good match. And, you know, he goes back to WCW after this. You don't see him again until late 2001, I believe, is when he came back mm-hmm. to WWE. Yeah, it's uh, that's a solid pick. I like it. I like the the deep dive there. I'm going to go deep dive as well. Uh, this is one, you know, you get to round five in the draft. You think about the NFL and in those late rounds, you're kind of, where can you find the diamonds in the rough kind of thing? And boy... Earlier today, as I was researching for this podcast, I sure found one. And I was tweeting I about it. Yep. <laughs> I was wondering if you guys thought I'd take this or not. But I figured, you know what? It's not like Flair's greatest match of all time, but it is a really damn good match. So I'm going to take it in round five. And this is a match that he had with Brian Pillman on WCW Saturday night in February of 1990. I believe it was February 17th, if I'm not mistaken. 15-minute uh, match. You watch this match, you listen to this crowd. I miss crowds like this in pro wrestling. Well, I miss yes. crowds in general right now, but I, I miss mm-hmm. wrestling crowds like the early 90s and the late 80s because holy shit. Just watch this match. It's readily available on YouTube. February 1990, WCW Saturday Night. When you watch this, it's like mind-blowing that they didn't push Brian Pillman to the main event scene after this. And... We mentioned Liam O'Rourke earlier in the broadcast. Liam uh, writes about this in his book about Bright Pillman, uh, Crazy Like a Fox. And Flair uh, really actually wanted to put over Pillman in this match, but they wouldn't let him because he had the match coming up, what was it, one week later? With Luger. At, with Luger. And yeah. so they said, you can't lose. So they have this great match. The crowd is just eating it up. I mean, every... Every little thing Pillman does, they go wild. There's this girl in the crowd that is so loud, just like takes over, but it's like all the girls. And you watch this and you're like, how did Brian Pillman not become a main eventer? Well, there was a lot going on behind the scenes. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in the booking of WCW at the time. And that's why. And they had another really good match in April of 91 the next year. But Flair really liked working with Pillman. Go out of your way to watch this one. You'll like it. And uh, you'll wonder why Brian Pillman wasn't meaning, main eventing WCW over the next several years because it shows you he definitely could have. He had the crowd reaction. He was obviously super athletic, had a great look. And if a guy like Ric Flair likes working with you, that says a whole lot. So, yeah, I'm going February 1990, Brian Pillman. Kyle, you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, without you know taking up an hour trying to rebook 1990 <laughs> WCW. Um <laughs> There is a really strong argument to be made that Pillman should have gotten that Wrestle War match with Flair. So this match takes place under the shadow of Lex Luger's babyface turn, which is only transpiring because Sting had that knee injury at the Clash that completely screwed up the promotion's entire year. Because Sting was supposed to beat Flair at Wrestle War, tears the shit out of his knee, they're panicking and they turn Luger babyface when the plan all along was for Luger to be Sting's first challenger and that it was going to be Sting and Luger on top all year. Um, I think if they had thought things through a little bit better, because Luger's better as a heel and he was doing his best work ever at that point, you keep Luger as a heel and you have Pillman be that kind of fill in feud for flair before Sting gets back. Yeah. I, I think there's a really strong argument to be made um, that that's the direction they should have gone in, but they didn't. Um, and the company, you know, would be plagued by bad booking um, basically for its entire existence with the exception <laughs> of 18 months. Yeah. Liam's got 
all the stats in, in Crazy Like a Fox, his biography of Brian Pillman. And he mentions in the book that this show did a 4.0 rating. And it's an point, incredible TV show. Yeah. 1.3 million homes watched it. That was the most viewers ever for an episode of WCW Saturday Night. So not only is it this great match, great crowd reaction, it's the most watched edition of the show in the history of the show's run. Yep, Brian Pillman didn't go to the main event scene. It's just, it's mind-blowing, but man, it is it is an awesome match. These two work really well together. I think he wrestled Norman the Lunatic at WrestleWar, by the way. Just Jesus. <laughs> so check it out. It's it's on YouTube. You can find it. So, all right, Nick, what do you got? All right, so let me just pull the curtain back a little bit. This one, there's a lot of uh, things that... My favorite number is number 10, and... Uh, believe this is the 10th win for Undertaker. Undertaker Flair at WrestleMania. Uh, Ric Flair, no DQ match. Also, if you remember, guys, this is around the time where, like, Ric Flair was, I believe he was, like, the owner of, like, half ownership of WWE, and there was that angle, too. Um, Again, the storytelling and the storylines going into it. Undertaker, like, beat up one of the members of the... uh, Four Horsemen. I forgot which one it was exactly. It might have been Arn Anderson, but mm-hmm. like leading up to it, and then you know Flair had to t- take matters into his own hands. Might be a hot take. Uh, the worst version of the Undertaker, American and Badass, did not do it for me. I wasn't a fan <laughs> of it. Right in with us because we have yeah, that same yeah. opinion. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know that that's like really what Undertaker is like on a daily basis. Is like the American Badass. It's like kind of just chilling and on, on motorcycles and whatnot. But, you know, this was also, I think a time where Ric Flair got to show maybe himself that, you know what? I can still hang with the likes of taker. And again, hindsight is 2020 wrestling undertaker kind of was bigger than wrestling for a title or even main eventing, you know, like having the undertaker slot on WrestleMania, I mean, shit, even till now, you know, like the AJ Styles, people were complaining about that. But it's like, yo, you have a match with Undertaker on WrestleMania. That means something. So for me, in the fifth round, you want to talk about value, throw some betting in here. You got (laughs) some good value here in the fifth round. (laughs) Yeah, he uh, Flair talks about this one on the Austin interview recently and how Taker specifically picked him for this match. And he was kind of blown away because this is in that period where Flair was going through a lot of confidence issues. And uh, you just kind of, yeah, he raves about how much it meant to him that Taker picked him for that match. And, yeah, I like that pick in, in round five. What do you got, Kyle? Well, I already got the Terry Funk Clash match, so it would make no sense to take a great, the Great American Bash match from earlier in the year. Surprised that's still on the board. Um, just a few other good ones, too. Ricky Morton, Great American Bash 86. Flair in the rare role as Bully. You don't see Ric Flair the bully necessarily in a ton of his matches. I think that's one that's worth checking out. Uh, it's in the Hidden Gem sections, the Charlotte match. How did no one take Ric Flair versus Jumbo Saruta? That mm. That is just something that we're going to have to talk about off air. I mean, <laughs> I guess I could right now, but I mean, that was, I remember we got this best of Ric Flair in Japan tape, talking about tape trading. God, I watched the shit out of Ric Flair versus Jumbo Saruta. But, <laughs> I'm going to go with a match <laughs> that we just referenced a few minutes ago. Ric Flair and Lex Luger from Wrestle War 90. I think this Ooh, is a okay. slightly better match than the Starcade match um, just because Luger was more polished 
as a performer, it has a super cheap ending uh, with Sting coming out to fire Luger up and then the Anderson surrounding Sting and then Luger uh, making the save uh, of Sting rather than win the match. Um, Jim Ross is just phenomenal on commentary during this match. Um, I think it's Luger's best match ever. Um, the definition of a four and three quarter star match. Nice. Good pick. Well, I think, you know, there was, there's some other matches I had on my big board that I didn't take that I was considering, including two more Barry Wyndham matches that didn't, I decided to go more broad with my picks, but Kyle mentioned the January 87 one. If you want another good flair window match, check out Crockett Cup 87 or Battle of the Belts 2 from 86. Those could have been picked. Um, otherwise, yeah, I, I considered Sting Starcade 89. Uh, deep dive wise, I considered a house show match, the Iron Man match he had with Bret Hart January 9th, 93 at the Boston Garden. There's a fan cam of that available on YouTube. Uh, really good match as well. Kyle, you said in our uh, group text that you like that match better than the title change match from the previous oh, yeah. show. Yeah, For sure. And, and uh, I would agree. It's a good match. Yeah, go ahead. Talk about handhelds. The forgotten Flair Steamboat match yes. from March 18th in Landover, where the best thing is if you're an NBA fan, inexplicably, towards the end of the match, there's just like one version that's circulated on the internet forever. This commentary of a random Washington Bullets game starts playing, and like Bernard King hits a game-winning jumper. I was like looking up before the show went on what game that could have been. I couldn't. They had played an overtime game a couple days before. I guess that might have been on the guy's tape. But uh, yeah, uh, that match is every bit as good as the trilogy. Yeah, it's really good. I actually looked that up earlier today too, researching mm-hmm. for it, and found that fan cam. It was the first time Dave Meltzer referenced six stars in the newsletter. Oh, wow. I believe. <laughs> Maybe a Dave Completus could correct me, but it's to me, I, to my recollection, it's the first time he mentioned six stars. You know, you could also go with his steamboat match at Spring Stampede 94 several years later. It's a, it's a really good match as well. Mm-hmm. So I considered that in round five also. So any others that you guys considered you want to get out there? I would just uh, echo... Uh, Kyle's sentiments on the Great American Bash 89 with Terry Funk was an excellent match. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one that I had, I, I figured I'd be taking with my last pick, uh, but didn't have the opportunity to, was uh, the Clash of 23 with Arn Anderson versus Pillman and Austin. It's kind of a, a weird ending, but uh, it was a good match nonetheless. Yeah, Pillman and Austin were so clearly having the time of their lives during that match. And, yes. and, and Flair was like he could kind of tell and he was having fun too. I remember like Pillman mimics the woo uh, to Flair and Flair kind of looks at me like laughs. He's like, all right, that's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Sweet. Well, hey, this was fun. I I like this. Mm -hmm. We may have to do these drafts again. I think it was a good idea, something something fresh that we haven't done before. I appreciate Nick Diaz for joining us. And uh, Nick, tell the listeners, where can they find you? Guys, it was a pleasure. This is uh this is a fantastic idea. I'm a sucker for redrafts. I always love doing redrafts. So anytime you have some stone cold stuff, please, I'll be <laughs> deeply offended if I'm not the first person you call up. <laughs> with that with that being said, it's at the Lamb Show, guys. It's probably the easiest place you can find me. Everything is the same on all social media outlets, uh, Twitter, Instagram, 
uh, Twitch also at Veterans Minimum is where you can find my show. And yeah, guys, it was a pleasure. Ryan, I'm I'm so happy we finally got to do this. We've been DMing each other, trying to go on like this first date for so long. We finally got it done, brother. <laughs> yes, man. It was, it was great. We got the first date out of the way, so we'll have to do it again for sure. <laughs> uh, Kyle, what do you got going on the rest of the week? Where can the listeners find you? At CRP Kyle. And I'm just going to watch Jumbo Saruta matches the rest of the <laughs> What about you, Justin? Uh, I, I, I just want to say to anybody listening, uh, reach out to us and let us know who you think won this draft. Yes, definitely. I'm, I'm planning on making like a graphic or something that we can post to social media with all the draft results. So you guys can take a look at that with all the matches listed and see who had the best draft. I like that. So, and, and you then, can, yeah, go then ahead. you can tell me that I won at Justin Joint. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And you can find me at Ryan Drosty and uh, the show at Top Rope Nation. We're on Twitter and Instagram with the same username. We're also on Facebook. I also want to throw out a shout out to all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash Top Rope Nation. Big thanks goes out to Derek, Gabe, Kyle, Tim, Liam, Ryan, Sean, and Greg. Thank you guys so much for the support. And, uh, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of the show the thing about leaving us five stars. I wanted to throw out a little goal. I believe we're somewhere around like 70 reviews on Apple Podcasts. And I thought, you know what would be fun is if we get to 100 reviews, we could do a giveaway. So for all of you out there listening that haven't left us five stars on Apple Podcasts, it takes two seconds. Just look us up on your iPhone. Go down to the bottom of the page. Click the five stars. That's it. When we get to 100 reviews, I will give away a Top Rope Nation t-shirt and sticker on the air. Basically, a Top Rope Nation gift package. But we got to get to 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts. So if you haven't done it, we would greatly appreciate it. Look us up on Apple Podcasts. Leave us those five stars. We'll get to 100. We'll do the giveaway, whenever that may be. So with that said, my name is Ryan Drosty here for Kyle Ross, Justin Joint, and Nick Diaz. Catch you guys next time. Credit Card Bill.